0: Welcome to PsychBytes, the podcast that makes educational psychology research useful for anyone working with children and young people. I'm Lauren Bratton and I'm joined by my co host Laura Chapman. Hello. And Ellen Berman Jones. Hi. How are we all feeling after episode one?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to today and I'm really excited for Becky's topic as well. Yeah, same. I can't wait.
2: Yeah, um, I'm really pleased about the response we've been getting on social media. Yeah, we've
0: been loving hearing everybody's feedback and thoughts about episode one and and how much they enjoyed Sam's research about the dog in the classroom.
2: Yeah, and I think the research ideas or areas that they would like us to explore has been interesting to have a look at as well. So yeah, that's really good.
0: Yeah, definitely keep them coming. We're really interested to see what you want to hear next on, on the podcast. So as Laura said, today we are joined by the fantastic Dr. Becky Lewis. Becky is an educational psychologist who also enjoys yoga and playing board games. Becky's professional interests are around working in IOTAS, which means education otherwise than at school. Becky is here to talk to us about her research about obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, in schools. Specifically, her study looked at what support secondary school staff would like from educational psychologists to be able to support young people with differences associated with OCD so welcome to the podcast becky hi
3: guys thanks for having me
0: that's okay we're really excited really interesting topic for us as well to hear about i don't know about you guys but i don't know much about this area or i haven't worked no, really. with pupils you know in in this area at all so i'm really keen to to hear you know what you did and and what the outcome was and what we can really take from it to you know share with school staff
3: Oh, That's great. I was going to say it's going to be a really hard job to follow Sam. That podcast last week was brilliant so I'll try my best to be as articulate as she was.
0: (laughs) Yeah lovely Sam. She had lovely feedback didn't she as well but I'm sure you'll be fantastic. So to begin then I think it'd be helpful for us to get to know a little bit about what the research topic was and how you ended up going down that route to begin with.
3: Yeah so I sort of started it when I was a second year trainee so a bit like Laura I guess at the moment Mm -hmm. in that phase of trying to find a research topic and at the time I'd had sort of a couple of cases actually around OCD which I didn't think was necessarily something we would come across that much Mm -hmm. in our profession so I did the sort of classic have a little look at some journals some educational psychology journals see you know what do we do as educational psychologists when we come across cases like this and I didn't come across much at all so then I went on to the good old Google Scholar Mm. just for quick research again really struggled to find anything in the last 10 years and a lot of the research out there had been done in American schools as well with they call them school psychologists over there so again I didn't know how relevant it was for us so from that then I thought well here's a huge gap I didn't really anticipate how big the gap was when I started my thesis. You always want to look at a bit of a gap in the research, but this was a huge one. So yeah, yeah, that was a bit of a challenge in itself when I was doing the literature search. And I just thought it was just so important just to have a look at it. So not only for my own interest with the cases that I had, but also I thought, you know, maybe for other trainees or for other educational psychologists and school staff as well, thinking about how would they like to be supported? What could our role be with these pupils?
0: Yeah definitely yeah that's really helpful because I think for me when we think about mental health issues sometimes it's quite easy to think okay that's that's not really my job in an educational psychology that's clinical psychology or that'll be CAMS you know but obviously although we work together with other agencies like CAMS the Adolescent Mental Health Service it's an issue for for school if there's a pupil in school who has OCD or has those you know kind of similar needs then the school staff the educational psychologists, you know, it's really important that we understand and know how best to support. So yeah, I'm I'm really keen to 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 hear what what you found.
1: I feel like as well, it was a bit of a sign. It's like you had two cases. Yeah, <laughs> it's very weird to come across that you know that in itself. So yeah, I think it was like someone was pointing you down a, a certain route. Yeah. What did you do then? Briefly, sort of, what you know, what what were your your methods, and you know, what what did you find?
3: First of all, I sort of was thinking, who do I want to interview? Like, who do I want to include in my research? So first of all, I thought, well, I need to get the views of other educational psychologists just to get a bit of an overview. What are they doing? Have they come across this before? How have they worked with these pupils? And then what I also wanted to do was get the views of school staff. So for my research, I looked at either the additional learning needs coordinators in Wales or I also did some research in England so they are the special educational needs coordinators so we call them our ALNCOs or our SENCOs as the you know abbreviation so I also interviewed them and just from my cases they tended to be in secondary schools or specialist settings around that secondary age. And when I did a little bit of a liter- literature search, I sort of came across that actually a lot of the presenting needs come across at that sort of age. So that's okay. why I interviewed those working in secondary schools for that aspect. I did my interviews, but it was actually during COVID. So it was the first time we did oh, virtual wow. interviews, Wow! Yeah. which before then, like we just weren't working on Teams or Zoom or anything yeah. like that before. So it was quite weird actually I think mm. we were kind of then like right mm. we just I can I think it helped me in a way because I didn't ha- I could actually reach more people yeah So it was a lot yeah. easier I think to just to get people in for the interviews so yeah I just started asking them their experiences really what I did want one of my criteria was for them to have had at least one case working with one of these young people so they had sort of something to talk about yeah and it was just really interesting so from the educational psychologist point of view actually a lot of the work wasn't that different to how we work with a lot of different needs a lot of the things that came out was really about getting pupil views Mm -hmm. um, in lots of different ways one thing that they did which I thought was really interesting is they did sort of a map of the school and they color coded it to make them feel safe so we call it a rag rating which is like red amber green so red would be areas where they feel really unsafe and then green they feel very safe and an amber sort of a bit in the middle so they did things like that with the young people to gauge where they felt safe in the school also things like the ideal school which I I love using and I I know you guys love using it as well but that's sort of where we get the young person to think about what is the dream school what could it look like and then we take their views and then we think about developing it and um, is there any changes or adaptions we can actually make in school to make it look a bit more like their ideal school? Mm-hmm. So I found that a lot of them did things like that. They also did a lot of sort of collaborative meetings with parents, getting parent views with school staff as well. We sort of call those our consultations in a way so those sort of collaborative getting those joined up um outcomes Mm. so did a lot of work like that as well so when I was hearing it I was like well actually yeah that's not too different to how we would work anyway
0: yeah yeah and I'd imagine it would be quite different for each people because obviously it you know OCD can look completely different for each person is is my understanding
3: yeah definitely so that's why it was really good to sort of make it really sort of individual and that's where having that collaboration is so key and that's what came out from the Alenco interviews and from the educational psychologist interviews is if you a mental health professional is involved such as you mentioned CAMS earlier didn't you yeah if they are involved having them there is so key Mm. and sometimes then the role of us as educational psychologists is to think okay how can we then relate that into the school environment Mm. so that's something the Alenco spoke about a lot is actually when you have educational psychologists there they can really support with making things you know accessible in the school environment or think about things in that way they also spoke about us working in a holistic way which is kind of like seeing the bigger picture so we're seeing not just the the diagnosis of OCD yeah. but we're sort of seeing the bigger picture the bigger needs the views of the pupil how it looks in the school environment so that, that was something that came out that collaboration was so key but also it came out as a barrier. So when they couldn't do that work, it was really difficult and schools Mm -hmm. found that difficult. And the other thing that came out was the educational psychologist role of training up staff and just providing that training, either in those sort of inset days or um, twilight, so after school sessions as well. So there's a real key role for us to do Mm -hmm. that because we have the school context as well. But again, that sort of came out as how confident people felt you guys sort of mentioned earlier it's not something you've come across yet
1: yeah and I, I
3: happen to just have two cases so I just had to sort of do a little bit of research around it but if you haven't had many cases it can be quite daunting can't yeah, yeah
0: I think as any you know professional or school staff member or anyone supporting a young person it can feel quite scary mm-hmm. to think I know nothing about this am I going to yeah. do something wrong am I going to say something that will make things worse for this people you know, that that confidence with training actually has such an impact I feel on yeah. obviously the young person but also the, the adult who supports them
1: i think with that that's where the collaboration comes in as well because i think if you were worried and you were unsure hopefully the people in the room you know might be able to help you out with that and when you were talking about that also being a barrier back. Was was there anything that schools mentioned helped bring people together or was there something that they're continuously finding quite difficult because I you know I'm just reflecting on my own work that's often getting everybody together is really tricky so I was just wondering was there anything that helped that collaboration process at all that came out?
3: Well interestingly just the timing that I did my research they were starting to reflect that the use of technology and Microsoft Teams and Zoom has really helped with that. So before, I don't know about the schools you worked in, we weren't using that at all before COVID. So actually having some of these medical professionals who have very different diaries and very different working patterns to us sometimes, getting them there in person was really tricky. But actually the use of Teams or Zoom meant that even if they could just drop in for 20, 30 minutes, it was really helpful. But Laura, I still find that barrier sometimes it, it can be really hard to get us all together. And even though it says in my research, and it's come out of lots of other pieces of research as well, how important this collaboration is, yeah, it does still become a barrier. And it's something that we've all just got to make that effort for. But again, yeah. always lining up those diaries can be really hard, can't it? Yeah, yeah
1: I just wonder as well, because if you're not lining up and you're not having that collaboration, I suppose the concern is people might be overlapping with what they're doing or are people taking on different approaches which might counteract each other or if the work's already being done with say cams or clinical is that then or school like they might have an elsewhere who might be doing some work as well is i think if that collaboration's not there then we could all be going down different roads or overlapping work that's being done and and those sorts of things the impact on the young person then as well I guess you know whether it's OCD or another
0: need that pressure they may feel of having conversations over and over again with adults people asking them to share really I don't know intimate thoughts and and really personal things with adults over and over again I think for OCD in particular Mm. those anxieties I understand are really really high so that joined up working I think is is key. I was just gonna say
2: it might be helpful back if you wouldn't mind just maybe giving a bit more insight into what OCD actually is because I think it's a term you hear quite a lot and you often hear it sort of thrown around a bit where people you know you say you hear people saying oh yeah I'm a bit OCD with this and that and actually it is a diagnosis isn't it so just maybe a bit more about what it is and, and what it might look like for pupils in school what those challenges might be
3: yeah definitely before I give my explanation there are two websites out there that are just great and they will definitely give a better explanation than I could as well so there's OCD Action and OCD UK they're charity websites and anyone listening to this there's some lovely resources out there and things for parents and school staff as well just to point you in that direction we'll link it
0: yeah, yeah. I yeah, will yeah. put it in the link yeah. in, the, in the description of this episode, definitely.
3: Yeah. So as you sort of said, Ellen, it is a, a diagnostic label and it's sort of saying that we have those obsessions. So those are kind of our intrusive thoughts. To get the diagnosis, they have to be really intrusive. So we all have those intrusive thoughts sort of day to day, but they get to the stage where they're sort of almost debilitating and they can't move past it. Those thoughts then create anxiety. And they're experiencing that high anxiety, and then to get rid of that anxiety, they perform what's called the compulsion so these are our behaviours then that they do, and they think that if they do this behaviour, then that will sort of stop that anxiety So you know if I clean this then i'm not I'm going to stop worrying about this, or I have to turn this on and off three times, and then that sort of temporarily reduces the anxiety. However, then the intrusive thoughts start again and then they feel that they have to do that compulsion again. So that's called the, the OCD cycle. And you'll, that's what you'll sort of see everywhere, those sort of four steps. And that's kind of how they, what they use to explain it. But it's something that's happening for hours every day. Mm. So when I've worked with pupils before, they can't go to certain areas in the school because they, can't, they have to go certain routes and they have, if they okay. don't do that, they can't get to places. Mm. So yeah, there's lots of different things out there to sort of describe it but those again those websites are great they kind of explain it probably in a lot better <laughs> terms yeah. than i can
1: no it's really helpful
3: because i think like you, exactly what
1: eileen said i think it's banded around the place quite a mm. lot and yeah i i know myself that is an area that i've not worked with so i think it'd be really helpful i think i to have to visit them websites as well to be yeah. honest yeah. And i'm just thinking about
0: for pupils as well those those compulsions or the actions that they're they're taking to try to you know help those anxieties I guess sometimes those may be thinking about when I was in school you know everything is about what do other people think about me what are they mm. noticing you know you want to fit in as much as possible and I'm, I'm guessing that sometimes those compulsions may almost fit in with a routine it could be going a different route or sometimes it could be something that would be really noticeable to others that would be really tough I think for for a young person to, to manage and have other people thinking things about you and, mm. and not understanding maybe what you're going
3: through
2: or as well perhaps anxiety around sort of trying to suppress those compulsions in order to not look different to everybody else yeah yeah
3: no definitely and that's something you see from what you've both said and there's lots of research out there about the social impact of it Mm. and how that can affect them in schools and the importance of supporting that for school staff so thinking about how they can support their well-being Mm. support friendships and sometimes that we call it that psychoeducation, so that sort of education, I guess, around the condition. So not only to help young people themselves understand it, but also some of the other pupils as well. Okay, so Becky, what does
2: all of this mean then? What would your take-home message be for for our listeners?
3: So our listeners that are educational psychologists or trainees or assistants, first of all, I'd say don't don't be afraid to take on the cases. What I found is a lot of people work in very similar ways to how they would be working and they found that that was helpful. So really thinking about collaboration, who else is involved? Are there any other key professionals we need to have? It might be, you know, Lauren, you made a really good point earlier. It might not be our role to necessarily do direct work with the young person, and that's okay. There might be other people that can get their views. You mentioned the emotional literacy support assistants earlier that work in schools that might be working with these pupils. So, again, they can help get their views. Thinking about having parents, a lot of the time it can present very differently at home to at school, so having the parental Mm -hmm. views is great. And that's where maybe using that consultation approach I think would definitely be key. Again, thinking about how can we, you know, if there have been recommendations from medical professionals how can we support the school staff in putting those in place how can we make them applicable to school is there a role for you to do some training or some you know further information or psychoeducation for staff as well or for the young person themselves and parents so there could be a role for you there. Can I just ask sorry do you know you just mentioned
1: training as well yeah would that be sort of OCD specific training that the psychology service might offer or would it be around using things like the ideal school tool to you you know to get views or would it be around anxiety so if you were thinking about you know trainees or educational psychologists who were open to offer training to schools or even for schools to know what training to seek out from their psychology services what what would that look like?
3: So again I think it's what the school feel that they're lacking if it is general confidence around OCD itself then I would definitely recommend you know doing some training about it because there are differences with it and general anxiety so again we might be using similar strategies but we might be thinking about it a bit differently as well so I would there might be a role there but also as you mentioned if it is you know that they want to get the pupils views and they want to use things like the ideal school you know there could be a role for us there to support those strategies. So yeah, I think the training again as we always do it's always quite bespoke isn't it to what mm-hmm. the school want or feel that they need. So sometimes that can come out of those, you know, consultations or joined up meetings as well. So sometimes it can come out of that. And I guess any of our listeners that are working in schools, so our teachers that are listening, just like your husband, (laughs) who's our (laughs) number one fan apparently. Yeah. So yeah, I would say again, don't don't be worried to seek help if you know other people are involved to try and set up a meeting just to get that do, do the um, pupils have any members of staff that they trust that could maybe get some of their views around it i think as well just to don't be afraid you know educational psychology service when we can support with things like that mm-hmm. so maybe thinking about some of those referrals as well and also those websites that i mentioned earlier there are lots of great resources and things like that for teaching staff and just some general strategies as well on there that can really help them if they're thinking of things to do in the meantime really
2: as we know, the list for mental health services at the moment is really long, isn't it? And I'd just be interested to know, so for those pupils who perhaps they are, I don't know, displaying some behaviours in school that might be a bit sort of concerning for professionals and those children who maybe don't have a diagnosis yet, if they, if they are going to get one, would those support strategies still be kind of relevant and appropriate for those pupils?
3: It's really interesting that you raised that. A lot of the um, interviews I did, when they had done the work with the pupil, they were on that pathway and they didn't yet have that diagnosis. They then later on got the diagnosis. So I would definitely say that the strategies would still be relevant and the approach to our work would still be relevant because that's what they were doing and they found that it was helpful. Just as you mentioned, the wait lists can be really long. The pictures can be really complicated so again that sort of collaboration you might not have the mental health professionals there necessarily yeah but you can still work you know with the school with the parents thinking about the pupil views thinking about those needs really and how can we support those needs within the school
2: and I suppose as well if mental health professionals were to then become involved it'd be really helpful because you'd then almost have a bit of a, a picture of what you've been doing so far which can then kind of maybe even feed into their work
3: Yeah definitely I completely agree and that's what happened in a few of these cases because some of them were you know quite long over time and some of the educational psychologists said mentioned they became involved originally and then later on a mental health professional became involved which only sort of helped and supported that collaboration and that approach for the young person.
0: Yeah I guess you wouldn't want to wait would you? You know it could be that the waiting Mm. list is over a year long. You wouldn't want to wait over a year to support this pupil with you know the difficulties they're having in school just because somebody from the mental health services hasn't said that they have OCD. You know it could be that school is noticing a lot of anxiety like you said you know there are some overlapping things and I, I think those websites are a great first place to go, like you said, Becky, for school staff who may be concerned that it could be a while until a people may or may not have a diagnosis or or even mental health support directly from those services.
1: Yeah, because I think sometimes school staff are a little bit worried. Well, even on, as trainees and Eps, we worry: are we going to get something wrong? But I suppose if the needs are presenting, and if you pop, you know, some strategies into place to support them. You're, you're not going to make the situation worse necessarily are you back is that you know would that be helpful and reassuring for schools to know that if you if you haven't got a diagnosis but you, you're wondering that that might be the case you can't make it worse you're not going to get it wrong
3: yeah definitely and I think parents as well have those anxieties as yeah. well and again it's about us getting as I mentioned before it's, we call it like that holistic picture so that overview really about what is going on what's that picture for that young person What can we support? We mentioned earlier about them potentially struggling with friendships and things like that. Mm. And those are things that we can support in school. And I think schools underestimate themselves. School staff always, I find, really underestimate their skills and their knowledge and ways to support. And sometimes it's our role as educational psychologists to help them get there, to get them to sort of understand, acknowledge the skills that they already have, the knowledge they already have, and just sort of help them get to that point where they feel, I guess, confident to support the young people.
1: Oh amazing thanks Beck. I, I think that's been really helpful I think it's probably a nice place to bring us to a, a close today but before you go we've got our most important question what is your go-to karaoke song?
3: Okay so I heard this in last week <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't think have. about it <laughs> um well I kind of have two so I've got a group one and a solo one. Oh, oh wow yeah that's new. okay cool. so okay. if I'm on my own it's always rock DJ <laughs> Oh, well, Robbie, Robbie Williams.
0: Williams. Yes. <laughs> Robbie That's Williams. My,
3: vo- my vocal range is that of a 40 year old man. <laughs> I'd love to say Beyonce. I can never get there. Uh, oh yeah. my
0: God. Okay. Realistic karaoke song. Realistic like karaoke song. I like
3: it. Um, and then the group number, when I'm with my Huns, is obviously Blue All Rise. Oh, oh I love
1: it. Again. The vocal Mayos. range. Yeah. yeah
3: that's yeah. my vocal range two
0: iconic songs but that's really intro. low as well yeah wow yeah <laughs> that's incredible those are two though if you hear them come on they've got quite iconic starts so you know the the rock dj din 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 you know what's coming on and you can turn and see becky there ready and waiting yeah. i can just imagine it now <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> do you do any
0: um karaoke songs by
2: female singers
0: at all ever or no
3: i can't get there No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love it you know you know your skills yeah. and you're sticking with it yeah yeah yeah, it's
3: amazing.
0: <laughs> okay, oh, thank you so much for joining us today, Becky. And for our listeners who would like to read Becky's research, you can visit Cardiff University's ORCA website for free access to the text. And we'll pop a link in the description of this episode. We'll also put the links to all the really useful websites that Becky has mentioned as well. You'll find Becky's research under her maiden name, Rebecca Pierce. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can leave us a review on Spotify and follow us on our socials, Instagram and Twitter, on PsychBites Pod. If you have any topics you'd like to cover or would like to give us an email, you can find us at psychbitespod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Lauren. I'm Laura. And I'm Alan. And you've been listening to PsychBites. See you next time. Bye! Bye.